That's very, very kind. Thank you. Uh, I had no idea what this segment was going to be like. I mean, I got new shoes. It's like the first day of school. <laughs> I, I, I really didn't know um, what my emotions would be like, but I will tell you, I have missed the heck uh, out of the privilege of being with you. And it is a privilege. And um, it's one that because something was leaking in my life that I didn't even know, I, I put in jeopardy, and um, I will tell you more about that today. So we're in the middle of a series that's called Reset, and um, we talked about resetting just our understanding of who God is, and resetting our priorities, and re-understanding our, uh, resetting our relationships, and today we're going to talk about resetting leadership. Now, when you think of that, you may not think of yourself as a leader, but the truth is we're all leaders. And every single one of us is influencing other people. They, they, they might be doing everything they can to get out of your presence so you don't influence anymore with pain and um, distress and, and trouble and uh, every other kind of miserable thing. Or you might be leading them and they're happily following you and you're leading them towards destruction. But every one of us is a leader. And then certainly there are more classic positions of leadership and um, all of us, whether it's a father or a mother or a husband or a wife or a peer group, we're, we all are leaders. So when I talk to you today about resetting leadership, I want you to think about resetting my life that I'm going to give an account for. And so let's pray. And uh, thank you guys. That, that uh, is encouraging that uh, we love one another. And I do love you. And I love being your pastor. So thank you. Father, uh, thank you for grace. Thank you for kindness. Thank you for friends. Thank you for um, the way you spur us on to love and good deeds and make us more of who you want us to be. Thank you that there's going to be a day when we're not going to struggle against our flesh and the ways of the world, but we're going to uh, be with you in the way that we're uh, fully know now, we're going to fully know you, and you're going to finish this good work that you've begun in us. But until that day, may we not grow weary in doing good and pressing on towards the upward call of life in Christ Jesus. So use today towards that end. We want to be servants of Christ, which will make us the best kind of leaders. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for... Um, I don't know. I, I, I did every membership class that we did at Watermark. We've always um, had, for the first 15, I think 16 years, it was, I don't know if it was hundreds of them, but for thousands of you, I met in a room for a couple of hours and just shared with you the passion of who we were and what we were about and what we were trying to do. And I, and I always shared four things. In fact, today, if you go to one, and if you're not a member of a healthy body of Christ, I would encourage you to find one. And if we can be that for you, that's Fantastic. One of the things I would always share was we're not trying to sell anything. We're not trying to get you to join. We're trying to share with you who we are and why we're trying to um, join our lives together to push us on to what Christ wants us to be. But if you go to um, what we call our discovery class or just step one to figure out who we are because you've got to be really careful who you yoke yourself with in life, 
there's a little note there for me and a, a letter. And, and the letter just says, hey, there's four things you need to know. Number one, we don't have a perfect pastor or perfect staff or perfect elders. Number two, we're not a perfect church. And number three, we do have a perfect mission. And if we didn't lose you on number one and number two, then we'd love to talk to you about how we're going to pursue number three. And I think a lot of times, and the reason I did that is that a lot of times what we do is we put people in positions of leadership and especially spiritual leadership. They ought to be, the scripture says, we studied First Timothy together last fall. They ought to be above reproach. There ought to be something there to follow. They ought to be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. They ought to be able to say the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. But, but that doesn't mean that people who can say that and that we as Christians who can say to others, follow me as I follow Christ, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we're sinless. But as we follow Christ more and more, it should mean that we sin less and less. So that's what I've always shared at every single membership class. I just want to tell you, I always have said this. I mean, for 20 years, 21 years, I've told you, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I can't be a Christian. And Christians are people that need continual progressive sanctification. When you hear that someone is saved, biblically, salvation has three immediate subsets. There's what happens at the moment that we believe we are justified. Uh, Romans 1 Romans chapter 5, verse 1 captures this. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a declaration that God says, your confidence in my grace towards you and mercy towards you and provision for you in the person of Jesus on the cross, you're acknowledging that you're guilty and the wages of your sin is death and crying out to me for mercy and realizing there is no mercy if God doesn't give it, and you asking for mercy, the moment you do that, there's what's called a substitutional penal atonement, that the sufferings and the penalty of Christ on the cross is imputed to us. And God forgives us. And then what happens is we, now watch this, we are justified in that moment, but we have to be careful that we justify, in other words, prove, it's another way to use the word justify. One, one way, it's a, it's a legal decree. It's just to let him go free now because the payment has been met. But then you justify something sometimes by proving it true. And the way we prove our love for God and our understanding of his love for us true, James would say, is by our works. Faith without works is dead. It's not saving faith. It's not real faith. And so as we justify that we really now know the love of God and we no longer try and manage our relationship with God and we no longer try and perform so that God can love us because we know he loves us because he's demonstrated his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. In that moment, we then begin to run towards him and that's the second part of salvation, which is called sanctification. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus. And then the one that we all look forward to, kind of, because you've got to go through this little thing called death to get there, is when God finishes this good work which he began in us through Christ. And that's that glorification process. If you want to think of those things in three ways, salvation is justification, sanctification, glorification. 
and the Spirit of God is responsible for all three, and we participate with him in justification by acknowledging our need and trusting in his provision. We participate with him in sanctification by acknowledging that his way is right and good and true and following him in submissiveness, and we participate in his glorification by dying (laughs) and letting him do for us what only he can do. We're delivered from the penalty of sin. We're delivered and being delivered from the power of sin, and one day, and this is why it will be called heaven, we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. Won't that be great when all of our relationships are everything God intends and there is no insecurity and self-righteousness and self-love and lust and desire to exploit and manipulate and promote ourselves and there's no anger and there's no disputes. Won't that be amazing? Can you imagine how sweet our relationships would be when all of that is gone? The Bible describes that as heaven because it is. And it will only get there when God makes everything new. Everything's not new now. What's new is that we have changed our mind. We no longer think that life without God is a better life. And so we are the people of God reminding each other the goodness of God so we would trust him more and walk with him. And we love each other in that process. So that's what I've said every time um, I've led a membership class to you about, hey, I'm not a perfect pastor. We shouldn't be surprised that sometimes your pastor needs to, um, well, not sometimes, but all the time, just like you, do the hard work of heart work, which is a phrase that I use that is way too pithy. It's just, I need to be all about one thing. And that's not doing ministry. It's about being effective in dying to self that Christ might live. So let me tell you what I said to you the last time I stood before you. I quoted 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, which says this. The goal of our instruction is love. From a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And I, I just, I walked you through why with a pure heart, um, I, I could tell you, I, I, I've been told by my friends how nothing disqualifying is going on, nothing that makes us not want you to be our pastor and not want to be an elder here is going on. We just love you enough to tell you that if the goal of your instruction is love, there seems to have been something which is dampening that in a way we've never seen before. And, and I, I, I was confused by that. I'll be honest with you. I was really, I was like, what are you talking about? Which was part of the problem. So with a pure heart, I just said, it's, it, what I need to do is listen. I had friends who said, you're going to listen. I had a good conscience. I wasn't hiding anything from you. There was no end. Here's the rest of the story. There was nothing scandalous except everything is scandalous when a man who says he loves God isn't giving off what the Bible calls love. And it's important that I say what the Bible calls love. As I um, listened to you know, friends and what they were saying to me, I, I, I thought about what is kind of the Wagner family verse. It's one of the verses. We all have got verses and we've got a number of them around our house. But, but the Wagner family verse, the one when I went to Israel, I, I got in Hebrew to, as a necklace to hang around my daughter's neck, is Proverbs chapter three, three and four. And it just says this, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 
And I just thought, what I'm hearing my friends say is, Todd, it, you just don't seem as thoughtful as you used to and as kind as you used to. Now, can I just tell you, my, my initial response, typically when I hear that, was exactly my initial response when I first got married. Because when I first got married, my wife would sometimes say, hey, I don't feel like, I don't feel like you love me the way, or pursuing me the way you did when, when we were dating. And I, I feel like you're busy, and I feel like you know, I'm just not a, a priority for you. So I would hear that and go, okay, what she needs is me to explain to her that I am prioritizing her and that I do love her. And she just said, the problem is her feelings. So if I go, that's exactly right. So if you just didn't feel that way, we wouldn't have a problem. So I would proceed to tell her why she should not feel that way. And when you've got the gift of gab and you've got a tongue and you've got a lawyer's mind and you've got all those things, A squared plus B squared equals C squared is a lot, it's very easy to do. And women just sit there and eventually just kind of go, okay, I'm exhausted. I'm just trying to tell you. You know, when a wife says, I don't think we're spending enough time, note to sell. She's not asking you to get out your day timer. <laughs> that dates me, all right? Uh, she's not asking you to go back and tell her all the times you spent with her this last week. It's not a math problem. What she's saying to you is, I know you love me. I, 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 I want you to know that there's something missing on a deep level that I don't want to miss because I want to be near you. I want us to be one. I, I think about um, a lot of what was going on as we led up to this. There was this thing last year, uh, what's it called? COVID. This thing happened um, last year called COVID, right? And, um, and so, uh, and there was, there was this thing, there was, a, um, there was an election, yeah. And there was a lot of uh, things that were going on and there was a, a rise in, um, tension amongst races and understanding about that and all of this. And as we're leading through that and having conversations and doing some things, as I, as I thought and I started to listen, what I said to my friends early on, I just go, you know what, let me just stop. Because what I hear you saying as we're in the midst of this is, is I'm not being the leader I want to be, right? Because a good leader doesn't lord it over others. That's what the Gentiles do. But the first among you must be a servant, the scripture says. For the Son of Man, God himself, when he came to earth, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. And the verse that came to mind, I just said to him, I go, guys, can I just stop? 2 Timothy 2.24 says this, the Lord's bondservant, the leader that God wants you and I to be, watch this, must not be quarrelsome. And I had to look back and go, you know what? I'm sure in some of those conversations, um, it probably felt quarrelsome. Watch this. But be kind. It doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. It doesn't mean you shouldn't lead. It doesn't mean you shouldn't stead be steadfast, immovable. It doesn't mean that you should be on the alert, standing firm in the faith. But kindness, able to teach. The words of the wise, Proverbs 15, 2 says, make knowledge acceptable, but the mouths of fools spout folly. I just go, guys, you know what? I would see where we've had some quarrels. I would see where you would go, I'm not kind, even if I'm able to teach you. And when I think you're not doing things well or saying things to me, you shouldn't say I'm not patient when wronged in some of our conversations. I would say I'm not with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. And instead of thinking what I wasn't doing that I wanted to do that I wasn't because of being such a great leader, I... Uh, I just started A squared plus B squared plus C squared. I said, well, here's the problem. You feel that way. 
And if you didn't feel that way, we wouldn't have a problem. And I never say that, I just, I'm sure, was doing it more than I knew that I was doing it. So that next to the, gets to the next thing. What have I been up to the last several months? Well, you can tell. Last night I was in Abu Dhabi in Fight Island. Conor McGregor and I had a little tiff. Or I went to a dermatologist and they uh, wanted to burn something off my face. So I've been up to that, but I've also been up to this. Here's what I've been up to the last several months. Just listening. I've been up to resetting my relationships. I've been up to doing exactly what we taught last week. Last week we, we talked about how what we tend to do um, when, when someone around us feels wronged, right? I mean, David lifted this off. We, we shift the blame. Well, if you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done that. If you didn't feel that way, we wouldn't have a problem. We, we make excuses. Well, there's a lot going on, man. There's an election. There's COVID. There's a lot of tension. We got to make decisions. We compare and minimize. Well, at least I didn't do this, right? I mean, I think, you know, I didn't hit anybody. I didn't cuss anybody. I didn't, I didn't explode in anger. Or we kind of pretend it didn't happen and hope everybody forgets. That's, and what I've been doing is I'm just saying, that's just not what God says. You know what? The Bible says a fool does those things. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. It's a proverb I've quoted so many times in my life. And God just said, hey, man, listen. Just listen. Even, even if they're wrong, listen. And there was plenty that I'm sure I know they weren't wrong about. Because at the very least, I wasn't listening. Being patient and with gentleness correcting those. You know, at what level? It, it doesn't matter. It, at a level that was right for me to just go, that's the most important thing. Let me just say this to you. By the grace of God, one of the things I did share the last time we were together is that my marriage, you know, um, has never been better. I mean, we, it doesn't mean that we don't work hard to make our marriage better, but our marriage has been great. My relationship with my kids is unbelievable by the grace of God. But if it wasn't, if there, if there was something wrong in my home, you would say, Todd, we love you. We're so glad that you communicate to us and lead us. But nothing's more important than your primary ministry. If a man doesn't provide the love and the care and the leadership and the kindness and the warmth and the, the, the nurturing of the home environment that God wants him to, then he shouldn't be leading the household of God. And so if there was something at home, you would have loved me enough to say, Todd, just go spend time on family and then come on back and lead in this way. And really, guys, that's what, what I felt like I needed to do. That's what my friends spurred me on. Todd, we, we love you more than your gifts. Let's work on our relationships. We're going to start by letting you work first which is exactly what you should do. Judgment begins with the household of God, and judgment should always begin with leaders because when a leader gets better, everybody gets better. And there's some shame when I say this, but there's no shame. Right? This leader needed to get better. And the reason there's some shame is because I want you guys to know I love you so much, I wish there was nothing in my life that needed to get better, and I need to go to the membership class at Watermark and remind myself of the very first thing I said, which is, we don't have a perfect pastor. So, so you don't have to act like when somebody says you can get better in this area. Well, no, because if you think I need to get better in that area, then that probably means I'm not a good pastor. That's not at all. They're saying you're a great pastor. What your wife is saying to you when you need to get better is I want you to be my husband. I want you to be my husband forever. I want you to be till husband till my death. And I just want you to get better because I love you and I don't want anything to get in the way of me wanting to move towards you and follow you and be subject to you before the Lord. That's not criticism. That's a cry. 
for somebody to say, I want you near me. And our pride thinks that if we agree that there's something less than, that they're building a case to leave us. So here's what I want to do. In the next, you know, um, what do we have? 25 minutes? I'm going to give you five things that I think will be helpful to you because they've been helpful to me as you reset your leadership. As you reset your life, as you seek to excel still more in loving one another and being everything that Christ wants you to be. The reason I, I did those things, as I just said, is to wrap it up, is because that's what the scripture tells us to do. And I just want to say this to you. I don't know what you thought you were supposed to do as a worshiper this week, but if you are not at peace with your bride, if you're not at peace with your, your neighbor, if you're not at peace with a brother in this body, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 tells you what to do. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and therefore you remember that your brother is something against you, leave your offering there. Stop, stop. Quit serving the Lord. And go and be reconciled to your brother. Then, then come on back and do those other things. You know, I, I will tell you, um, last uh, December, just to tell you when it really hit me in a different way, um, I got a call from my daughter, Kirby, and she just said, hey, Dad, would you come get Harvey? Austin was going to run him, you know, um, over to your house. And because Alex and I had told her we'd, we'd keep him that night because she was having some people over for dinner. And she goes, he got hung up at, at work. And so can you just come get him? Because Austin doesn't have time to go there. He wants to be here to help me get ready and welcome everybody. So I said, sure. So I jumped in my car. I drive up to her house. And I get there. And when I pull up to her house, I see all kinds of cars that looked familiar to me. And I walked in her house, and it was all six of my kids and three of their spouses and their kids. And they had just wanted to have dinner together. And that's who Kirby was having over. And you can't imagine the joy that I had in my heart that I thought my kids love each other. They want to be together. They, 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 they want to be Wagners and Baxters and Mankins and they want to be one. And I walked out of there, and I just thought, oh, man. Lord, I know that's exactly what you want. You want your kids to love each other. You don't want them to do ministry or do spiritual things or, or read their Bible. You want them to read their Bible and be around Christians because you want them to love. I walked out of that house, and God just said, that's what I want. I just want my, I want my people made in my image to sup together, even in the midst of all the dysfunction that involve, is involved in the Wagner name, the Baxter name, the Mankin name, and Earth. So sweet. So I, you know, I've been doing what we talked about last week, admitting where I was wrong, apologizing, grieving over times I hurt people, listening, asking for forgiveness, accepting the consequences, you know, not getting to be with you because I needed to be just becoming a better lover, and doing everything I can to say, I want to alter my behavior. So here's, here's five things that, that have been helpful to me as I've, I've wanted to be more of who Jesus wants me to be. <sighs> Number one, just remember this. A leader is not a grace graduate. It kind of is the very first thing I say to membership class, right? Um, it, it, 
Your pastor's not perfect, so you don't have to act like you're perfect. Husbands, newlyweds aren't perfect. Wives aren't perfect. Children aren't perfect. Your community group, this is a newsflash for some of you, is made up of people who aren't perfect. None of us is done. All of us is still trying to decrease so Christ might increase. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we are glorified. We're not sinless. As we move towards God, hopefully we will sin less. A leader is, is um, a grace graduate. Every, is not a grace graduate. Every single one of us is on the journey. Sanctification is a process. And what's so interesting is that sometimes, is, is, and I'm going to move quickly through this one because I want to get to where you can live in grace, but sometimes I think what we do is we will ourselves to be the people that, that God must want us to be. And Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, just comes screaming to my mind, which says, are you so foolish? You, you, were, you were saved, you were justified, this good work which began in you where God showed you who he was. That was done by faith. You've not been saved because you've been good enough long enough. You've begun by the work of the Spirit. Are you now going to be perfected by the work of your flesh? Do you think you no longer need the grace of God to be who God wants you to be? I think sometimes all of us, I know I did, I know I do, I would just get busy being a Christian instead of being a Christian, which is being dependent upon Christ. Grace means you're going to receive what you do not have. And when you act like you've got it because you're a Christian, you will not be very Christian. Just go read Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21, where it talks about the deeds of the flesh, enmity, immorality, factions, outbursts of anger. It says this is the deeds of the flesh. And then go read 21 and following, but this is the deeds of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness, self-control, just to name a few. We're not grace graduates. We need grace. We don't begin the Christian life by us doing anything. It's us receiving something, and we live the Christian life, and we are the leaders God wants us to be as we depend on him. Number two, a leader needs gospel community. This is, um, this is the, probably the highlight of the last several months. I started by the grace of God. I had some friends, and we just weren't satisfied with what we saw as a church in and around our town. It doesn't mean that there weren't a lot of people who loved God more than we do and were all about it. We just didn't feel like there was a place that we could say to anybody, come and see, come and see, come and see. And so we just said, okay, look, God, um, who are we to judge a servant of another? We don't want anybody else to change. What would we do if we were going to be an expression of your life on earth? And so I sat down with seven or eight other couples, and we just started dreaming. We, started, oh, we opened our Bible, and we just looked, and we go, okay, what is this thing? What, what are we not experiencing? And one of the things we said, we made it our middle name, community. 
We saw, we saw people meeting for an hour in Sunday schools, and Sunday schools aren't the problem. It's what happens typically there. It becomes a smaller church where somebody teaches. People are polite, and then they kind of leave. And, and when somebody gets sick, they, they you know, start a little meal train. They go over and see them, but they don't really get involved in each other's life. They don't admonish the unruly. There's really not care and correction. They don't encourage the faint-hearted other than, you know, when they're there at funerals and things like that. There's not, um, we just didn't see a real commitment to oneness and our sanctification being a community project. And I knew, listen, I knew that if I wasn't around guys that were always spurring me on to love and good deeds, I was going to become less than what God wanted me to be. I knew the reason at 35, 36, when we started Watermark, the reason that um, I was where people said, Todd, be our pastor, lead us, is because of the friends that for 15 years I had been near that had been ironed to sharpen my iron, that had spoken to me with open rebuke. I've said often, there's only two kinds of people in the world that can tell you the truth about yourself, either an enemy that's lost their temper or a friend that loves you dearly. And I had friends that loved me dearly and they just said, Todd, I know you love Jesus. My wife had, has been so amazing. She just, she, she goes, I know you wanna be a godly man. So when I see things in your life that aren't consistent with the fruit of the spirit of God, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna give you no slack. I'm not gonna say it's, you're better than almost every other husband I know. I'm gonna say you're not what Jesus wants you to be. And so that community, that, that love, and I'm not talking about troublesome meddling and little things. There's a lot of overlooking small offenses and not the best moments. But when there's a pattern and there's a, a blindness to that pattern, and when there's an increase in a deficiency of the fruit of the Spirit, friends move in. I was so encouraged that friends moved in, that they believed me when I said, look, this is what I think the lower third. Can you put the original lower third? What, what would you guys put up there? It said Todd Wagner, pastor, elder. Is that what it says up there when you put up whatever you put in my lower third at the beginning of the service? Okay. And so um, this is what it should say. Todd Wagner, member of Watermark Community Church. That's what I am. Okay. I, I, yes, I'm a shepherd, but shepherds biblically never stop being a part of the flock of God. They never stop needing biblical community. They never stop needing admonishment and encouragement and help. And one of the things that happens when your gifts are being used is people go, well, who am I to? The answer is, you're my brother, you're my sister. And for whatever I've done wrong here, one of the things that by the grace of God I've done right is I have not surrounded myself with weak men. Because I don't want weak men, I don't want fans. I'm your brother, and I'm so grateful God's given me maybe some gifts. I'm so grateful that he's done enough sanctifying that there's integrity in me saying, follow me. But I'm not done. I'm not a grace graduate. I need gospel community. We were together as a staff. You know, we always are in January. We try and get some extended time away. We couldn't do it the same way we always do because of um, the situation that we're in. But... You know, we spent some time with uh, somebody. We always bring in somebody. He just said, hey, I just want to share with you guys just some observations he's made recently. And he said this. He said, listen, the key to fruitfulness in ministry is longevity. I would maybe use the word perseverance, persevering and doing good. And doing good means running more towards Jesus. He increasing, you decreasing, not just not choosing in your flesh to do what the world calls good, but doing what the Bible calls good, which is yielding to Christ taking up your cross and following him. The life which you now live in the flesh, you live by faith 
in the Son of God. It's just doing that continually. Change is a process. It's not an event. And it's not getting discouraged that your flesh is still loud and powerful, but it's letting the spirit become more loud and more powerful because you don't walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but you delight yourself in the law of the Lord, and on that law you meditate day and night. He said the, the key to fruitfulness in ministry is longevity. I, I said perseverance, and I would then say the key to perseverance in ministry or longevity is spiritual health. This is so important. This is where one of the reasons the world gets in trouble, especially with gifted communicators and gifted leaders. Sometimes we think the key to longevity in ministry is having the ability to teach and having a a big personality, having great vision, being somebody who can really strategically plan, somebody who's, who's skilled of tongue. No, that is not the way to have longevity in ministry. The way to have longevity in ministry is spiritual health. And the key to spiritual health is gospel community, which is why if you're not in one, Man, the clock is ticking. This nonsense that just me and Jesus is enough. The root of all sin is pride. And pride is, God, I don't need what you tell me I need. I don't need Jesus. I'll give you my resume. And if my resume isn't good enough for you, that's on you. And he says, oh, really? Well, we'll have that conversation. And it's just as arrogant for you to tell Jesus, I don't need what you tell me I need to be the man that you tell me I'm supposed to be. I don't need others. I just got you in the spirit, my Bible, a cup of coffee, and a journal. Have you seen my journals? Have you seen how faithful I'm in my journals? God has told you that you are to live in community. And I mean community that helps you authentically be admonished with biblical counsel towards everything that he says. And if you're not in one, you're telling God, I call you Lord, but this is really, you're going to be a Lord I manage, which is a problem. And so a leader needs pruning. (laughs) A leader needs pruning. I remember my friend Kyle, you know, has shared a number of times with everybody, you know, just this idea that, um, that hey, w- guys, th- there's nothing to be scared of here. Todd, in God's kindness, has been a fruitful vine. It's been a cause of provision for our body. It's been a cause of, of joy and gladness to our body. And we just feel like it's just time just for Todd to um, get a little sharper, be... be um, to just do some pruning, right? And so this is what my Bible says in John chapter 15 and verses uh, one through three, and is a verse that my buddy shared with me. He just said, look, I'm the true vine and my, my father's a vine dresser. I mean, it's a verse I've quoted a thousand times. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, watch this, he takes away, which ought to really concern you. I'm just gonna tell you, if there is no fruit in your life, ongoing spiritual fruit in your life, I don't care what you say about what you know about Jesus and the cross. It's a problem. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it might bear more fruit. And that's just what my friend said, Todd. We, we, we're, not, we're not looking to get rid of you, man. We're, we, we love what God's done with you and through you and in you. We're looking for more of it. So, I, you know, one of the things I just did this week, I went 
and I just, I, 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 when I taught John 15, I did it, but I went back, I just go, I, I gotta remind myself, I'm not, this, I'm not an agriculturalist, I'm not a horticulturalist, I don't, I'm not you know, somebody who grows grapes. And so I just went back and I looked, I did some um, looking on how to prune, and this is really interesting. I found an article by a, um, uh, a fruit specialist at Oregon State University, and one of the things that uh, she said was homegrown vine growers never prune enough. She went on to say that you got to take off 90% of the wood every year. Every January to March is the pruning season, right? You know, when we do uh, New Year's resolutions and we kind of think of the beginning of the year, like, what am I going to do different this year? I got to prune what kind of grew up and got woody in my life so I can bear more fruit for Jesus. I mean, it's just a coincidence that January to March is the uh, pruning season for vines, and it's kind of when we all, you know, uh, go ahead and re-up our gym memberships that we don't end up going to, and, you know, make new commitments. But the point is, is she just said, you've got to cut off 90% of the old wood. Christians, two things. I was just reminded of, when you do it alone in your own home without community, you never prune enough. And number two, you don't need 90% of your flesh trimmed back. You need 100% of it. A leader needs pruning more than he thinks. It's so funny. When my friends would say to me, Todd, something changed. You know, that was the very first thing I thought. I go, you know what? My Bible seems to indicate in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if something changed, it must be there's a little bit more Todd in the cocktail and a little bit less Jesus. Now, why is that? I'll give you a little more insight. This is just true, and it's just been good for me to be remembered, you know? Number, number four, a leader is nothing without love. Nothing without love. There was a couple of times in the first 10 years of Watermark where I, um, when I, I would teach, I don't know, 48 weeks a year, and, um, and after several years of that, the, the guy said, Todd, take, start to, you know, let's get some more guys going. And, and, and I, I was excited to do that. You know, I don't know if I ever got up to as high as 48, but it was a lot. And I can remember the first time I really got away for like four weeks. And I was still around working. I just wasn't teaching. And because I wasn't teaching a lot, I just said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to teach when I come back? I can remember the first time I had not been with the body for four weeks. And I just asked the Lord, what do you want me to tell him? And he told me something very specific. No audible voice. About five years later, the same thing happened. I got away, and I was like, Lord, what do you want me to tell him? And I got the exact same sense from the Lord. Tell him this. And both times, it was just how I'd tell him I love him. Tell him I'm so grateful that they've responded to my grace through creation and conscience and the special work of revelation and the preaching of the gospel. I want all men everywhere to repent, and I love them. I love the whole world. I gave my life. I sent my son for the world, but I love them. I'm glad they're my children. I've got this. I began this good work, and then I'll bring it about to completion. Tell them I love them. You know, when I just said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I, I, you know what I heard? I just, Todd, show them you love them. I mean, I was like, I love you guys. We got to get some things going here, but I love you guys. My friend Kyle Kegler, who now is the um, you know, senior pastor up there at, at Watermark Plano, which we call City Bridge, 
he just said, Todd, I got to tell you this, man. There's been nobody in my life that has made me love the church and the mission of God and living life on purpose than you. But if I was being honest, there were times I wondered if your passion for those things was driven by flesh more than love. And I just cocked my head and I just went, let me put that in the file of things Jesus never heard. So a leader's nothing without love. I mean, this is what my Bible says. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but don't have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned but don't have love, it profits me nothing. Look, I'll just tell you a little thing about me. I don't know. I mean, I love winning. I, I, I love winning. And Jesus loves loving. And I want to be more like Jesus. Now, sit tight, because you better define love biblically. And we're going to next week when I talk about resetting our mission here. Because our, our world needs love. But that doesn't mean whatever they want. So see you next week. It's pretty clear to me. I mean, you know, um, let me just show you a quick picture. I've shown you this before, but um, this, this right here is a, a picture I, of um, the very first year we did a residency, and I spent some time with the residents. I asked them, hey, guys, who do you think I am? You know, give me the words. Have you been around me for a year now? Who do you think I am? And I went back and grabbed this because I, I looked at it, and there's some very nice words that are up there, okay? And this was them saying it, and somebody up there was recording it. And the reason they have that one word bigger, that kept coming up, kept coming up. But I looked at it again recently, and it was pretty glaring to me what word wasn't on there. I mean, I don't see love anywhere on that list. And when I pick up my Bible and I read my New Testament, there seems to be a word that's pretty important. Hey, they're going to know you're my disciples by the way you love. Now, sometimes people can say that's not loving, and they use that to weaponize it and push you back. And when that happens, I'm going to talk next week about how to respond to that. But I got to tell you, you know, um, there have been lots of notes I've gotten over the years, and there's other boards and stuff where the word love shows up. But when people said, Todd, something's changed, I think, I think that's what was changing. And it was changing in a way that wasn't as loud in my heart as Jesus wanted me to be. And because I'm a part of a gospel community and I need pruning and I'm not a grace graduate, I go, let's go, Lord. Let's get more of that. The fruit of your spirit is love. Biblical love, but love. Last thing, and this is probably the most important thing. And that is this, that a man can't be God's leader. A woman can't be God's woman if they aren't abiding with Jesus. Now, the word abiding is one of those biblical words, right? It just, what does it mean? The word abide means remain. And let me just remind you what I said way back there on the very first thing when I said that, that a, a, a Christian leader is not a grace graduate. You foolish Galatians. Having begun by the Spirit, you think you're going to finish it in the flesh? When Jesus says, remain with me, what he was saying to you in that moment is, abide with me. He's saying, just stay here. Stay with me as Lord and you as a sinner who needs all of me. All the time. And I, to my shame, I would go back and I would look at certain interactions, you know, that were used to me as illustrations in a meeting where it never got 
we never got sideways. No one left and had to work through conflict. But they just said, Todd, this is how we felt devalued in that meeting. This is how you, we felt demeaned in that meeting. I would go back and look at that meeting. I know every part of that conversation. And you know what wasn't happening during that meeting? What wasn't happening in that meeting, I can tell you there wasn't a single time that I said, hey, Jesus, listen, I don't know if they're making the right decision. In fact, I'm pretty sure they're not making the right one. But how can I love them right now? How would you respond to this? I just, it's almost like what I did is I walked into that meeting and with my friend Jesus said, watch this, you're gonna love this, watch this. I've been hanging with you, what now, 35 years, me and you? I know a lot of scripture, right? I memorized a lot of what you said. So watch this, come here. I'm gonna, watch the way I work through this conflict, right? Watch the way I, I handle this opposition. Watch the way I'm, watch the way I'm patient when wrong. You know, you might do that to Jesus. Hey, watch the way I, I, I meet, I battle my temptation this week. Watch the way I love my wife. I'm a Christian, you're gonna love this. You can't love your wife the way you're supposed to love your wife. You can't fight temptation alone. You can't be who you want to be without continual dependence on Jesus. I know I can. My Bible says no human can. It's so interesting that the very first miracle that Jesus ever did with his disciples, not the first miracle he did before they were, you know, John 2, talks about his creation miracle, but the very first miracle he did before they were really even kind of his, and the very last miracle he did with his disciples was the exact same thing. Do you know what it is? Bible trivia, right? It was the same miracle. It was the miraculous draught of fishes. Now, most of the disciples, not all of them, the majority of them, the ones you know the most, were professional fishermen. And I think there's a reason that Jesus said, hey guys, until you know you need me in your greatest area of competency, you don't know how much you need me. I know you've been fishing all night. I know fishermen don't fish in the deep. I know they don't fish after daybreak. Throw the net. Do what I say because I'm Lord. Not what you and your professional, very productive, very successful, historical fishing business have been doing. Throw the net. Put it where I tell you. Lean not on your own understanding. And he had to drill that. Can I just say this to you, to Todd? Until you see your need for Christ in your greatest area of competency, you don't know how much you need Christ. What was the big word that was up there for me? Leadership. You know, a lot of people go, Todd, your teaching is like all over the place. It's like a fire hose. I always get something, but I can't really, my notes are terrible when you teach, right? <laughs> so my gift to you is to give you five clear things today. <laughs> Okay, but number two, people have said, man, you're, you're a great leader. And until I know how much I need Jesus to be the pastor and the leader that I want to be, I don't know how much I need Jesus. And I'm, I got a hunch you're a lot like me. So I close with this. If you've never understood how much you need Jesus, there's this thing called the gospel. It's really good news and that God loves you. God demonstrates his love for you, not when you're getting your life together, but this work of salvation begins by faith. Begins by faith. By putting your trust in him. And if you're not certain that God loves you, would you just consider the cross? Would you understand that, that, that stress, that anxiety, that hopelessness, that fear, COVID might kill you? And I don't know if COVID's gonna kill you, but you're gonna die. And when you die, you're gonna stand before God and you know it's true. 
And no matter how much you want to dismiss it and hide behind Darwin and Nietzsche and whatever philosopher of the day, no matter what you want to hide behind, oh, those Christians are outdated, you know in your heart of hearts this didn't happen by accident, and you know that you're a sinner. And you have better, and you can run to where I run and find grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. So come all you who are weary and heavy laden, and just say, God, I want to lay it down. I want to stop being good enough that my resume will be okay enough. I want to stop saying I'm better than them. I want to start to say I could never be good enough for you. What do I do? Trust. And to my friends who have already trusted, let's keep trusting. Let's not do Christianity. Let's abide. There's a reason the very first thing we say makes a biblical community is that we devote daily. Let's update that to abiding always. When you pray to start a meeting, the reason you pray to start a meeting is because what you're saying, Christian, is, hey, this meeting doesn't have a chance unless we live prayerfully with one another. Let's continue now when we say amen, not that it's over, not that we should say a woman as well as amen in our society. Let's just say, so be it. May we live together prayerfully. That's what the word means. So when you say amen, you all come up and go, oh yes, that's why we're going to get along, because we're going to live prayerfully together. Amen? Father, we need you. Every hour we need you. I thank you that I'm in a gospel community. I thank you that nobody thinks I should be a grace graduate. I thank you as there's more of you and less of me, biblical love will be the aroma that is all over me. I thank you that you prune us so that we can bear more fruit. I thank you that today we can abide if we just come to you and remain with you. We make this our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.